a baby for Hodie, African family. This is the African Liberation Media Podcast. And tonight I'm here with Elder Makaru, and hopefully Elder Gullah Jack will be joining us uh, shortly. Uh, it's working on a couple of technical things to get on the show. But we're going to go ahead and get started. A lot to talk about this evening. A lot is going on in the African world. And African Liberation Media always covers the latest news and information as it relates to African people, not only here where we reside in the hills of North America, but in the African diaspora and on the African continent. So today we're going to start off by dealing with the Breonna Taylor case that took place uh, around a year ago, around this time. And her boyfriend, who was charged uh, for shooting a police officer and who had the charges uh, dropped, uh, Baba Makra was going to go into to that. We're also going to deal with uh, the rising threat, according to the United States, of jihadist terrorism in Africa, on the African continent. Uh, we're going to go into the health status of the great John Magafuli, uh, President Magafuli, uh, President of Tanzania. There have been some concerns and some rumors about his health status. So we're going to, to deal with that as well. Uh, but starting off the program uh, tonight, I want to take some time to uh, really, you know, talk about some things that we're seeing right now in, in regards to the finances that are going out to various groups uh, by these white corporations. We talked about on previous shows, corporations uh, like Amazon. Last week, we talked about the movie Amazon funding. Uh, black movies, uh, making pledges to support black businesses. And uh, most recently, Goldman Sachs and their pledge of these monies that they're going to be awarding to black women. Brother Marco, can you tell us a little bit about that situation and how it's affecting us? Uh, B.B. Fahodie, African family, uh, Jumbo, Brother Almost, hopefully Gullah Jack will be joining us. Yeah, you know, what's happening uh, is, is, is nothing unusual. I, I remember when uh, Brother Kwame Ture gave a speech at the Free Huey rally in, uh, I think it was February 1968. Uh, I actually didn't know anything about it until I got a recording of it um, a few years later. Uh, but, you know, when I listened to the speech, you know, I got it on one of those uh, long playing albums, you know, those 33 and a third albums that we used to have before all this technology, you know, erupted. And Kwame Ture said that when African people engage in struggle uh, or one of the one of the ways that they engage in in ensuring their continued oppression of us was they come at come after us with the th what he called the three M's the missionaries, the money, and the Marines. And the, the missionaries, are not, not just uh, in terms of, of religion, trying to convert people, you know, to these, uh, you know, European or foreign religions, uh, but also missionaries can be in the form of, you know, of education, you know, trying to, uh, to miseducate our people. Uh, the money, uh, 
is generally uh, the most effective uh, way next to the, the missionaries and the education. The missionaries is basically the missionaries will, will capture masses of people. And then uh, for those people that they think they, they, that they really need to control, they will attempt to buy them off. So they'll come with the money. And we saw this, uh, you know, with the, the, the way the Ford Foundation uh, seized control of uh, the thrust of black studies and, and made sure it was just something that was uh, confined to academia and uh, without any uh, activism. The uh, so so the money thing is nothing unusual. And then for those who absolutely uh, will not compromise, can't be controlled. Then the third M is the Marines. The, the Marines, of course, uh, meaning uh, a, a number of different things, not just the uh, United States Marine Corps, but uh, the law enforcement establishment of this country uh, at that time, including uh, the co uh, county intelligence program of the FBI. Uh, the uh, the mass jailings uh, and then the actual assaults that result, you know, in the killing uh, killings of people like Fred Hampton and Mark Clark and Ralph Featherstone and William Shea Payne and Al Prentice Bunchy Carter and John Huggins and Sylvester Bell, Bobby, little Bobby Hutton, the first one killed, uh, you know, right after Dr. King was killed in 1968. So those those are the three M's. So I thought about that. When I saw this article uh, from GoldmanSachs.com, and we have this on our page, it's titled uh, One Million uh, Black Women. And uh, I said, here comes Goldman Sachs with $10 billion for black women over the next 10 years. Now, think about this is a staggering amount of money. And how do activists compete with this? A uh, billion dollars a year for 10 years from uh, the corrupt Goldman Sachs organization. And I, I think they're targeting, you know, black women the same way they targeted, uh, you know, radical uh, academics and others, you know, with, with, with money. Uh, others were, were, were bought out through various programs. Richard Nixon had his black capitalism program. They're targeting black women because black women were the primary organizers and leaders of the 2020 racial justice protests that did not go unnoticed by America's oligarchs desperate to maintain their hegemony, you know, over, uh, you know, African people. So, you know, we, we have this on our page and uh, I just read just this one, a uh, couple of things about it. It says in partnership with black women led organization and other partners, our new investment initiative, 1 million black women will commit 10 billion in direct investment capital and 100 million in philanthropic support to address the dual disproportionate gender and racial biases that black women have faced for generations which have been only been exacerbated by the pandemic. 1 million black women will comprise investments focused on key moments in black women's lives from early childhood through retirement these investments include healthcare, education, housing, small business, all aimed at narrowing opportunity gaps and positively impacting the lives of at least one million black women. You can imagine the impact, uh, you know, that this that that this will have in terms of uh, trying to uh, you know de-radicalize or demilitarize, uh, you know, attack the consciousness of, of these sisters. 
And, uh, you know, just uh, in, in, in terms, I was looking at some of the people who they have on their on the, on their board of directors. A lot of these people I have I, I have never I've never heard of. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure some people will, will recognize some of them. Uh, one of the one of the uh, people on their board is none other than Valerie Jarrett, who was Barack Obama's uh, senior uh, advisor. And she's currently uh, working at the University of Chicago Law School. Mark Moriel, president and CEO of the National uh, Urban League. A lot of people recognize that name. Ruth J. Simmons, uh, you know, a rather renowned educator. I think she was at Brown University at one time. Now she's at Prairie View A&M. And uh, Issa Rae, uh, who is a writer, producer, and actress. And... Last but not least, I mean, I left out a lot of names. I'm sure some people may know these names, but I don't know them. Um, well, Darren Walker, the president of the Ford Foundation. The Ford Foundation has a brutal history of attacking uh, African liberation, you know, going, uh, extending far back as the overthrow of Kwame Nkrumah. But uh, last but not least, none other than the war criminal Condoleezza Rice is on the board. And of course, she's still working, I guess, at Stanford, at the Hoover Institute at Stanford. And so, I mean, that that may give you a direction, uh, an idea of the direction uh, that this is going to take. But, you know, just in terms of the amount of money that they'll be flooding the community with. I mean, it's, um, you know, we, we, we can look for it to really uh, try to turn a lot of our sisters away from, you know, uh, any any concepts of African liberation and empowerment to uh, just more of the same reform, 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 reform that uh, never benefits the masses of African people. So I just wanted um, I wanted our audience and as many people as possible to be aware of this. And I think uh, you should go on our Facebook page and, and read, uh, you know, what Goldman Sachs themselves say, of course, you know, Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, famous. For, for many things, you know, including, uh, you know, those subprime lending, uh, and, you know, during the subprime lending crisis of how they manipulated things and, uh, you know, with the New York Fed and, and, and caused the uh, Great Recession of 2008 uh, through 2010. Uh, go ahead, Brother Amos. Yeah, just on the surface, I could say right off of the bat that this seems like an effeminization tactic and male masculinity will probably be attacked at an all-time high with these funds uh it's, it's plain to see that a lot of these funds will be allocated towards that effort and i was watching a video somebody sent to me i think it was on might have been on TikTok, where it was a black woman talking about transphobia and she kept talking about how men who are afraid or who don't want to date a woman because they're not a naturally born woman uh, is being transphobic. And she even went so far to, to make the argument that if, if you try to use the excuse that you don't want to date a trans woman because they can't reproduce, then what's the purpose of dating a woman that's infertile or what's the excuse for that? So, I mean, this thing is, is, is really spiraling out of control and, it's going to be more important forever to, for men to voice their opinion on how they feel about situations and step up and be a bigger voice and, 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 and even stronger on the front lines 
Because like you said, when you're dealing with that type of resource or those type of resources being distributed to various groups to push these purposes and agendas, um, it's going to be uh, detrimental, I, I, I think, to our community and trying to combat that is going to take without the same amount of resources and money is going to take uh, extreme dedication and organization. And even the black women who don't support feminism or uh, any of these other tactics that are being uh, pushed against the black community also need to step up along with the black man so that we can fight this head on. Uh, because this definitely seems like a, a financial onslaught uh, to our detriment. Well, you know, what it reminded me of was the expansion of the welfare state, but at a, at a, at a, obviously at a much higher level in terms of the people who they will be targeting. You know, they won't be targeting, uh, you know, that that target seems to be coming uh, maybe from the Biden administration. Uh, we, we'll have to see, you know, if there's if what they're doing with this $300 per child a month. I mean, if they, if they, how that, how that works out, but, but what this reminded me of, we saw the impact that uh, beginning uh, in the mid 1960s, uh, when you had strong black families at the forefront mm -hmm. of the uh, struggle for civil rights and human rights. And then at the fore and, and the youth who were, primarily born in the 1940s were products of strong black families, you know, like um, our brother Kwame Ture, then known as Stokely Carmichael, you know, a product of, uh, you know, two African, uh, African man and African woman, husband and wife from Trinidad, May Charles and Adolphus Carmichael, you know, my good friend, uh, Cleveland Sellers, uh, Baba uh, Mikasa Willie Ricks, who, you know, took me under his wing, you know, all these brothers, and, and, you know, sisters like Ruby Doris Robinson and Faye Bellamy and Dory Latner, they came from strong, strong black families. Marimba Ani, you know, you had strong, you had strong black families produce these people. And of course, you know, the people before, the, before them, like Malcolm and Betty Shabazz, Martin Luther and Coretta Scott King, uh, Fannie Lou and uh, Pap Hamer, uh, Rose and Raymond Parks. I mean, these were, these were very strong, uh, strong, uh, of course, you know, Marcus Garvey and his two Amy's. Uh, you know, Ashwood and Jocks, uh, you know, the black families, you know, what they produced was was simply remarkable in terms of struggle. And so what I see this effort as, uh, you know, along the lines of what you're saying is once again, uh, an effort to uh, reinforce uh, divisions, you know, within, you know, our community, you know, along the lines of, uh, of gender, uh, you know, when Du Bois wrote uh, The Souls of Black Folk and uh, and, uh, and introduced the, the concept of a double consciousness, you know, he was basically just talking about, you know, the uh, the African and the European or the American and the Negro. And and, and we look at, you know, there was a rise of, of, of white feminism in the 1960s, Gloria Steinem, who are now some people, you know, they're saying was actually a government agent. Uh, you know, they came and picked off a lot of a lot of our sisters, you know, who attacked uh, attacked black men. And uh, so so this this is part of the process. And so and so we need we need strong we need strong sisters and brothers standing together and and not allow ourselves 
you know, to be divided by our enemies because, you know, they're tossing around money. I mean, that to me, that's the danger. You know, they they attack the black family. And by attacking the black family, they were actually attacking the black liberation movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so this, you know, what you know, what's taking place now, uh, what has been taking these ra- these racial justice uh, protests have more been oriented more towards reform than uh, what we would call African or black liberation. But uh, our enemies never need anything to chance. They never leave anything to chance. You know, I learned that firsthand from my <laughs> direct experience with COINTELPRO. They don't leave anything to chance. And so there is, as long as there's a chance that uh, these racial justice protests could, in fact, uh, develop as the civil rights movement developed into black power and black liberation, these movements, you know, could possibly do the same thing. They certainly have the potential to do the same thing. And so they, they want to do everything they can to prevent that because they were totally caught off guard when, 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 uh, Carmichael and Rick stood up and said black power, the, the, the white power structure of this country was totally caught off guard. They didn't have no, they said, man, where did this come from? Where, where did these guys, where did these people come from? How could black, how could black people produce people like this? Okay. So, so they don't want, they, they don't want to run the risk of that happening. And, you know, since they now have a neoliberal regime that's able to toss additional money around and, and additional promises and, and prop up people, uh, uh, symbols or whatever, you know, put uh, black faces in high places. And, uh, you know, black folks that think that actually represents progress. Uh, you know, th- this is this is a critical time. But what I see them doing is saying, look, we're not we're not going to run the risk that this develops. So, uh, you know, we got to stay vigilant and brothers and sisters got to stay together. African complementarity is, uh, you know, what uh, our uh, civilizations and every, everything that we've done is free, proud, productive prosperous and powerful people have been has been based on african complementarity twinness you know uh, absolute equality between our our brothers and our sisters males and females and you know that's what we got we gotta we gotta stay the course but but it but when they toss that kind of money around we we know that you know some people are going to fall yeah i mean it's it's attractive for the everyday negro in america to see the flashing of money and the promise of resources and be attracted to that over true African liberation. Right. So when you give this type of money out to certain women in our community, and then they're the one establishing the businesses, they're the ones that are establishing uh, the jobs for the youth, then the youth would be more attracted to their message because they feel as though these people are providing resources, tangible resources that they can use to live and survive here in America. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tactic that's, that's easy to see how um, the resources will be used, I think nefariously by the people who are pushing these resources for this particular agenda. Right. It's, right. it, it, it's, it's why we have to voice it. And it's also up to, as I stated, our women who don't agree with it to be a, a strong, if not a stronger voice uh, against it so that uh, people will be able to see the difference. And as you stated, historically, it has been that balance between the African man and the African woman 
that has caused us to be able to thrive. When you look at African people at, a, at the highest state, that's where we were. And all you have to do is, is look at black people in, in their lowest state and look at the black, look at the state of the black family. Mm-hmm. And that's how you'll that's how you'll know which way, which direction we should be going in versus the direction it seems as though we're going to go in. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, let's just let's move around back and forth. We'll go, you know, we'll go all over the world. So why don't you go ahead and deal with um, the, the situation that, uh, you know, you just uh, you, we we've obviously been talking among ourselves about the situation in Mozambique, uh, largely because, you know, you know, my history of involvement with Frelimo. Uh, but why don't you go ahead and tell us, uh, you know, the, the information that you discovered today? Yeah. So look, look at out there today. Um, I saw an article and this was actually written in the New York Times. And it was talking about American soldiers uh, going to help Mozambique battle an expanding ISIS affiliate. So they're sending in uh, U.S. special forces or American special forces and to train troops uh, in Mozambique as a part of a way to fight against what they call jihadists or uh, people who are linked to the Islamic State. Now, one thing that we have to know about Mozambique, if you look right here in the beginning of the article, it says that the insurgency near some of the world's biggest gas reserves has killed at least 2,000 civilians and displaced another 670,000. So historically, we know that when Europeans take interest in an area, especially militarily, is mm-hmm. 95 to 100 percent of the time is for the resources in that area. Exactly. exactly. If you look at all of the wars that have taken place over the last 20 years uh, in what they call the Middle East. This has been the case of them trying to get to oil and natural gas resources in those areas. Mm-hmm. So. It is said that Mozambique has over 100 to 125 trillion cubic feet of natural gas reserves in a uh, place uh, called Cabo Delgado in in Mozambique. And there's been a rise since 2010. You've had various um, corporations that have gone in. And that what they've been doing is going in uh, Shell, Exxon, all of these corporations have been going in and exploiting the land for the natural gas reserve resources. Uh, because they're saying that Mozambique could be in the future uh, an energy superpower of the world. So here, this article that was written in Al Jazeera back in uh, February of last year is talking about Mozambique heading to disaster because of uh, it's, it's gas rich resources. The people are not benefiting from these resources as always on the continent. We'll see that these resources are extracted from the ground. These minerals are extracted from the ground, but yet the people who inhabit the land are left in poverty. Mm. All right. So it says in 2010, us energy company, Anadarko found major gas reserves off the coast of Mozambique's Cabo Delgado province. Mm-hmm. Many hope that the discovery is going to bring prosperity to the impoverished region. The following year, Italy's ENI also found a massive gas field in the area. Since then, Mozambique has seen an influx of foreign energy companies fishing for lucrative contracts. And Darko, which in 2019 
while Andarco's assets in Mozambique, ENI, Exxon, Mobile, BP, Shell, China National Petroleum Corporation, and others. So all of these countries around the world, or corporations from various countries, from foreign countries, are eating off of the resources in Africa. Mm. And once again, because of them following this oil, now you're seeing the rise of terrorism, which will potentially is, will lead to wars that will be taking place on the African continent the same way that they pushed these wars for years in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Syria, Libya, all these places because of their greed for resources and wanting to extract these resources to make the maximum profit. Whenever you want to understand European destruction, all you have to do is follow the money and follow the opportunity for money to be made. So we talk about the number of uh, cubic feet of natural gas to put it into perspective. If Mozambique has 100 to 125 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, it says that 5 trillion cubic feet of natural gas is enough to meet the needs of 5 million households for 15 years. So we could potentially, America can potentially power 5 million households for 15 years, just off 5 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. <laughs> That's only 5% of the total of what they're looking to extract from Mozambique. Wow. And get this, America is at the top of the list, one of the top five countries, I believe number five, in natural gas reserves. The majority of the, the, the mining for natural gas takes place in uh, Pennsylvania, in uh, fracking in Pennsylvania and Texas. So with Joe Biden and the Biden administration looking to phase out fracking here in the U.S. Well, that means that they're going to have to take those fossil fuels from other places around the world or the corporations like Exxon and Shell, which are U.S. corporations, are going to have to find other places to extract these resources from. And this is what you see in uh, once again, we have the corporations who work with the politicians who then the politicians use the military to go out and help them achieve their goals of securing other people's resources and continue to exploit the people in these areas. You know, when you were when you were reading uh, about that, uh, the trillion cubic feet or what exactly whatever the number was, you know, I was sitting there thinking. You know, that that will heat a whole lot of homes in North America, Europe and uh, Asia, China mm -hmm. and places like that. That will heat a lot of homes. And of course, uh, you know, they won't they they'll be able to get it out of the ground in Mozambique for just a fraction of the cost. That it, that it takes them to get, you know, get it out of the ground in, in you know, in Russia and places like that. So, uh, you know, it's 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 obviously 
you know, the, the, the same game being played over and over. But, but you, what was interesting to me, uh, Brother Amos, you know, when I first, you know, started hearing about this insurgency, uh, you know, several years ago, uh, was that, you know, I, the first thing I thought was, you know, what what an odd place for an insurgency. Now I didn't I didn't know anything about the natural about the natural gas there, you know, at that at that time. But I was it just in my mind, I'm saying, okay, now now we understand, we understand the uh, jihadist insurgency that erupted across uh, you know, North Africa and the Sahel, you know, after uh the NATO war of aggression on Libya. You know, we we understand that, you know, and, you know, and, and Boko Haram, uh, you know, after that uh, declared its allegiance to the uh, Boko Haram, which is an insurgency in uh, Nigeria, but but actually, you know, causes damage in Cameroon, uh, uh, Chad and other in other countries in the region. And uh, Niger, they they immediately declared their allegiance to the Islamic State. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since. Um, since the, uh, the the fall of the uh, Gaddafi regime and the destabilization of Libya in 2011, and oh by the way, and I guess we can talk about this next week. We're coming up on the on the uh, the March the 19th will be you know uh, 10 years since they they launched that war, Nate, the NATO's war of aggression, uh, led by the evil triplets Barack Obama, Nicolas Sarkozy, and David Cameron. Uh, you know, we saw that uh, the the Islamic insurgency spread, uh, you know, first to Mali, you know, and 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 then uh, and now to uh, Burkina Faso, uh, Niger, uh, Chad, and 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 of course, uh, you know, the the what we see taking place in uh, uh, northeastern Nigeria and and Cameroon. So, okay, so I said, okay, I understand that. Uh, that makes the 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 distance, the relationship, you know, the geography. You know, you you, you kind of understand that. You know, it's just like the geography of you know, say Iraq, Syria. You know, you kind of understand that. But I'm saying, look where Mozambique is located, right? Look, mm -hmm. you know, on the on the southeastern coast of Africa. You know, the southern, you know, the southern, you know, southern, you know, coast of Africa. I mean, it's it's. So why there? It's a distraction. Like yeah, who sent who sent these people? Who sent these people there? Who mm -hmm. who who would know to send some uh, so-called insurgents to uh, this place to cause this destabilization? Who would fund them or whatever? You know, with ulterior motives. And so and so now, you know, as we as we connect the dots, it 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 makes sense. We, we we see what's happening because what what is the game? The game is destabilize countries. These countries then individually don't have resources because quite frankly, quite frankly, they they they're really nothing more. Despite the 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 size of them and the resources they have, they they really can function no more than like say a state like North Carolina without the United States. Well, of course, Africa has the potential. To, to you know we, we wouldn't need any outside sources you mm -hmm. know i mean look the people of mozambique fought a war of liber 
for liberation, the liberation of their country against a member of NATO, Portugal. Okay. And they succeeded. They defeated these Europeans on the battlefield, despite the help that Portugal was getting from its NATO allies. Okay. And so when that, when that failed, you know, the, 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 the game during the African liberation movements was that. And of course, you know, I mean, I'm talking about the wars for liberation on the continent of Africa was that uh, the United States uh, and, you know, uh, the United Kingdom and these other NATO countries were primarily United States and the United Kingdom. Uh, you know, France wasn't that much of a player in, 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 uh, in this game during the Cold War. But what they tried to do was always uh, buy off some race traders to form another group. So the group that we supported in Mozambique was Frelimo, the Mozambique Liberation uh, Front. And then there was a there was another group na uh, named Renamo. And I can't remember what Renamo stands for right now, but they were funded. They were funded by uh, the United States primarily. In fact, the senator from North Carolina. Uh, Jesse Helms was one of the main uh, uh, forces who made sure that they got funding uh, the same way that they funded, uh, you know, in Angola, UNITA, led by Jonah Savimbi, uh, which African children are still stepping on landmines today in, Na in Angola, stepping on landmines that were paid for and bought from uh, companies you know, in the United States and Israel and places like that. And so, 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 so what they tried to do was always oppose one, one group after another. And so after, so after the Portuguese were defeated, then they carried on, you know, what, uh, what they, you know, considered to be, uh, what they called, you know, a civil war. But of course it, you know, it was really just, uh, just a war to destabilize, but you know, for Limo eventually under Samora Michelle, I mean, it's been a long, difficult struggle, and and Renamo still hasn't gone completely away. As a matter of fact, they may be involved in this, uh, you know, thing that's going on in Cabo Delgado, but um, but you know that 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 has been the game to always to try to keep these countries, you know, destabilized to the to the extent, you know, that they can, so that so that when they when they get to the point that they they don't believe that they can handle the insurgency themselves now mm -hmm. now think now think now, but just think about this the mozambique people defeated a european country and you telling me that they can't defeat uh, a group of insurgents i mean you, look how these people get the 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 province is located you know on the uh, on the indian ocean and uh, it, it has borders with Tanzania. So where how, how are the supplies getting there? Now, when Ferlimo was fighting against Portugal, President of Tanzania, Mwalimo Julius Nyeri, allowed Ferlimo to use Tanzania as a base. You know, we shipped our supplies to Ferlimo, to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Okay. Uh, you know, the things that we could send them, you know, like boots and field jackets and, you know, things like that, you know, fatigues all kinds of stuff that they that, 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 that they could use um so now some somebody is is they 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 have to have a system to get 
uh, resources, particularly weapons, in order to carry on, you know, the struggle, which has been going on now for, you know, about uh, what, you know, eight to 10 years or whatever. So, I mean, this is, you know, this is like, man, you know, what I what what is difficult to understand is African people have the capacity to fight these people ourselves. The African Union should have its own special forces. You know, it, we should have our own rapid deployment units. And, and but but we, but you can't do it as isolated countries. Like I said, it would be like North Carolina trying to fight Russia. North Carolina can't fight Russia, but the United States can. And 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 that and that's what the situation is like. And for these African countries that 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 border, you know, just like say when uh so when Libya fell, everybody, okay, well, that's Libya, Libya's gone. Next thing you know, Mali is in trouble, Burkina Faso is in, you can't just sit back and hope that you're not gonna be affected. Okay. Tanzania at some some point in some way is gonna be affected mm-hmm. by this. So Man, do we ever do we ever need visionary, <laughs> revolutionary leaders in the African world right now? I mean, we really do, brother. When we look at the geopolitical policies of the United States, it's not built off of moral principles. It's not built off of really any principles outside of gaining resources and wealth. That's really what it's focused focused on. And a lot of times they will mask their uh, intentions behind national security or the threat to the American way of life, which is pretty much a cold word for we need to extract more resources and more wealth. The principles of what they're saying, they're sending the, the troops in there to do has nothing to do with any type of moral concern about the people in in, uh, Mozambique, um, they tried to say that, you know, the the military, the Mozambique um, military is killing people or killing innocent people and trying to fight off these jihadists. But yeah, when we look at uh, Western New Guinea, uh, we know that there's been a genocide going on between Indonesia and the people of West Papua for years and how many u.s special forces or troops have been sent in to do anything about that no so it's not about the principles Mm-mm. it's because they don't have anything to gain by going there and it's the same thing that you saw in libya you know they went in and caused destruction there uh they went in and caused destruction in iraq uh they went in and caused destruction in afghanistan and it, it's it's a mass and it's it is a um, distraction to go in and take these people resources while the rest of the world thinks that they're doing something noble by fighting what they've labeled as terrorism. <laughs> you, you talked about the geographical location of Mozambique, as you discussed. They're saying that you have a rise of Islamist extremists on the African continent. So not only in Mozambique, they're saying that in the Congo mm-hmm. is uh, Islamic extre- extremism. Right. In Niger, there's mm-hmm. Islamic extremism. In Nigeria, there's Islamic extremism. And these places just happen to be some of the most mineral-rich, oil-rich places 
mm-hmm. on the continent. So wherever there's resources, there's Islamic extre- extremism. No Islamic extremism in <laughs> Egypt. No Islamic extremism in Morocco. Uh, and these are the places that are Islamic countries. Exactly. exactly. We don't see Islamic extremism there. We see the Islamic extremism in places where the Islamic religion is the, the minority in these countries. Yeah. You know, and uh, you, you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, what they said that the, the, the Mozambique uh, army uh, was doing, but, you know, we posted this on our page Um White, uh, I think this might have come from Vice. Let's see, yeah, Vice. Uh, white South African mercenaries hired by the Mozambican government have carried out indiscriminate helicopter attacks and killed civilians as part of an escalating war in Mozambique. There's a problematic history of white South Africans fighting as merc- mercenaries across the continent. You know, we know this, you know, from, you know, what happened to Patrice Lumumba, you know, back in, you know, 1960, 61 in, um, in, um, you know, in the Congo, Lionel Dyke, uh, who I actually I think is a, a, a Rhodesian, the founder of the, the Dyke uh, advisory group, is himself a former commander of the Rhodesian army. I guess he fought with Ian Smith against Zapu and Zanu, but he stayed on to become part of the Zimbabwean army for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, DAG, that's the name of his group, is possibly violating South African law by fighting in Cabo Delgado and both DAG and and the Mozambican government are responsible for any violations of the laws of war that occurred during the operations. So, so that, did they say anything about uh, these South African mercenaries? They're talking about the Mozamb- Mozambican government. But, uh, you know, on our Facebook page, we have a really, 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 really good article uh, by the African exponent.com because I, I know we want to move on and, and hit a couple other issues. Uh, and I would just advise everybody uh, who's interested in what we're saying here. Uh, the article is titled A Neoliberal Curse. Why there's there is extremist insurgency in Mozambique's capital Delgado. And so, you know, I think that uh, I think it would be really uh, beneficial uh, to people. Uh, I said eight to 10 years, but they said since 2017, the insurgency in Mozambique has increasingly taken legal, uh, lethal, uh, a lethal toll of, of, of death you know, on, uh, on people, you know, in, uh, in, you know, in, in the country of Mozambique. So, uh, I think people should really, um, you know, take, take a look at that. Uh, you know, one of the other things that came out of the continent, uh, and we just stay on the continent for, for a couple of minutes, uh, and, and, and then come back because I do want to talk about, you know, the Kendrick Johnson case. Um, there was a, a story that came out of Tanzania, about uh, the president, uh, John Magafuli. Uh, do you have any updates on that, uh, Brother Amos? Yeah, so there was uh, rumors coming out in Tanzania about President John Magafuli being sick with COVID. And they were saying that he's been out of the public eye for a couple of weeks. And many people assumed that he had been transported to Kenya to receive medical treatment for COVID and then flown to uh, Indian hospital. But uh, there was a report that came out that said that uh, the man who was spreading these rumors in Tanzania was arrested for reporting that Magafuli was ill. And they're saying that uh, Magafuli is fine. Uh, he's been busy working. And, you know, this is this has been a 
what could be an attack on Magafuli due to his uh, rejection of the coronavirus vaccination and also his questioning of the testing process on how they say that someone is COVID uh, positive. Mm -hmm. uh, so we know in, in the past, you know, he purposefully, you know, tested various non-human uh, things and sent them back into the lab and all of the results came back positive. So that raised his suspicion on the tests that were being sent to the continent. And uh, he's been telling people, you know, if, if you want to wear a mask, you can. If you want to practice social distancing, you can. But we're not accepting this vaccination. And he was attacked by the World Health Organization and by various leaders around the world. In fact, the United States put Tanzania on a uh, travel alert list for people trying to travel to Tanzania due to the fact that um, the rising concern uh, for COVID. But I mean, you know, we, we, we're in a, a place now in the world where, you know, anywhere you go, you can get COVID. So that really doesn't make any sense. Um, as a matter of fact, you know, we'll be going to Tanzania in October. Uh, one of the countries we'll be going to on a tour to Kenya, Tanzania, and Uganda. So for those of you interested in, in joining us and traveling there, you can definitely visit the website, cooleyland.com slash tours to find out more information about that. But, you know, we hope that the president is fine. Uh, as, as these reports state, again, we're not there, so we don't know. Uh, but it seems as though, you know, there could be some type of um, information, uh, negative information campaign against the president and his staff. Uh, specifically to push the the COVID nineteen vaccination agenda. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the article I read, which uh, was in, uh, well, I read several, but I think the one I sent you and uh, Kelly and Trig was in uh, the Daily Nation, uh, which is a newspaper in in Kenya that said that he was that uh, President Magafuli was actually was in a hospital in Kenya. But the source was the uh, was the opposition leader, the opposition party, uh, the guy that, who had run against President Magafuli and lost the uh, most recent election. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, he was the source. So, you know, that's why, you know, I, we have to always consider the source. I mean, that's why critical thinking is so important. You, we, we can't lose control of our emotions when we see things. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Asa Hilliard always said, don't ask why, ask why, why, the double why, you know, you know, we, 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 we have to, we have to do in-depth analysis and try to connect as many dots, uh, as we can. And it's important, uh, it's important that you say that because, you know, you see a lot of information out there. It's, it's clear around the, the deaths related to possibly related to the, uh, vaccination mm -hmm. and they, the World Health Organization, the CDC, will quickly say that these vaccinations or these deaths are not related to, or there's no link to a person taking a vaccination and dying. But I mean, you have people that are healthy that are taking it, and then three days later or a week later, mm -hmm. they're dying. Right now, people can believe what they want about Marvin Hagler and his death, 
But his own friend, Thomas Hearns, came out and said that he just took the vaccine. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, Thomas Hearns came out on social media and and said uh, that he just took the vaccine. Uh, I may be able to pull it up. But yeah, he came out and he said this on social media. Okay. And then later, his uh, uh, Marvin Hagler's wife came out and said that he didn't die because of the vaccine and that people that are saying this are stupid. Now, if you're a critical thinker and you say to yourself, well, somebody, well, I mean, I don't know his complete health record, but I know he was alive and he just recently took the vaccine and now he's dead. Mm-hmm. There has to be some type of link to that. Wow. Wow. I, I didn't know that. And he was what, 66 or something like that? Yeah, he was 66 years, 66 years old. Okay. Okay. Wow. So during Hank Aaron took it and, and, and died. And now, well, that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, they, they can, they can claim there's no connection, but, but then again, um, who, who knows, you know, in, 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 in some people, and I think I get, it depends on everybody's system, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that MRNA message, message could you don't you don't know what kind of message it might be sending some to some vital organs that's it's what it's what it's what i'm trying it's what i'm trying to say so uh you know so this, this is thomas this is thomas hearn's verified instagram account okay the hit man okay so he says here a real true warrior pray for the king and his family he's in icu fighting the after effects of the vaccine he'll be just fine but we could use a positive energy and prayer for his full recovery so this was before he passed away. This is before he passed away. Wow. So how wow. can someone say that people are stupid for saying that the vaccine could have possibly killed him when his own friend stated on Instagram before he passed away that he was in the ICU because of the effects, the after effects of the vaccine? Wow. Wow. I, you know, I didn't, I did, I did not know that, you know, I didn't digging deep into so many other stories i did not i did not i did not follow that wow wow that's that's like i said i mean you know we we keep saying you know that we we're in a massive struggle for clarity versus confusion and uh, you know these people have got to keep this game going you know with uh you know with this uh you know with this with with, with the vaccine and I, I mean i'm not a, necessarily an anti-vaxxer but i mean i have questions about you know, s- s- things that just pop up, you know, from out of nowhere. Um, you know, before we get to the uh, Brianna Taylor case, uh, th- there's another case uh, that took place, uh, situation took place, I think, back in, what was it, 2013, down in Lowndes County, uh, Georgia. Most often we talk about Lowndes County, Alabama, but there's a Lowndes County in uh, in southern Georgia. Um and uh, there was a case of this young brother named Kendrick Johnson who supposedly crawled into a gym mat uh, trying to get some shoes that he had hidden in the mat and supposedly suffocated and died. Uh, and uh, there was a lot of suspicions about about that from the get-go, particularly because he uh, you know, had, had reported some problems he was having with some of his... Uh, 
some of the white students there in the school. And when his, when the parents got his body back, ma many of the, his vital organs were missing, had been taken out of his body. And so, um, and so, uh, what I titled this was you know, what happened here. This is the necessity and value of staying in the fight for justice. Uh, the Kendrick Johnson case has been re re reopened per two independent autopsies. This young brother died from blunt force trauma in 2013. Investigators said the initial autopsy found Johnson's cause of death was accidental asphyxiation. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation officially closed uh, the, the, the investigation in June of 2020. Lowndes County Sheriff Ashley Polk and Kendrick Johnson's father wrote letters asking for the federal documents to be released. Polk said his agency started trying to acquire the documents in April of 2020. That's very interesting uh, uh, that uh, this sheriff would do this, but he did. Uh, there was an activist out of Atlanta who's been working with the family. He said that he and the family reached out to the Northern District of Ohio in late 2020. The case was transferred to the Northern District of Ohio after the U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Georgia resigned in 2015. Now, I, you know, I don't know. I guess that's the federal the federal government can transfer a case anywhere. And so this particular case got transferred out of Georgia to Ohio. The Northern District of Ohio reviewed the files and then communicated with uh, the family that they were they were filing documents in a federal court in Valdosta. Those documents, according to them, were, were so that they could legally share information with the uh, Lowndes County Sheriff. The Sheriff's Office uh, received a call before Christmas saying the documents would be released in February of March of 2020. 17 boxes of hard drives, paperwork, and other materials were delivered to the Sheriff's Office. So, by the, by the fact that this family and their supporters stayed in the fight, they were not just going to allow their 17-year-old son to be killed or to, to die mysteriously without a thorough investigation. Uh, you know, they, they, they went through the expense, personal expenses and the, the expenses from people who supported them to get two independent autopsies. See, the average family would not be able to do this if somebody died suspiciously, but they stayed in the fight and now... The case will be reopened eight years later. But, you know, eight years is better than none. We don't know what the results are going to be because we don't know what's in those 17 boxes of hard drives and paperwork and other materials. But we do see this as 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 a positive step, because, as Douglas said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did. It never will. And you have to stay in the struggle if you believe in truth, justice and righteousness. And uh, this is an example of that. And, uh, and 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 we also see this with the continuing support for justice for our sister Brianna Taylor, who was murdered by the Louisville Police Department, two officers in the Louisville Police Department in, uh, in March 13th, 2020. OK, uh, you know, one year, one year ago. And there there were there were protests all across the United States uh, from New York City to Los Angeles uh on the on on the day uh you know of rec recognizing uh you know this sister's death and the continuing demands uh for for justice 
But one of the most positive things that happened in this case is that a, uh, a, a black judge, uh, actually uh, a graduate of Morehouse, uh, ruled that the charges against uh, Kenneth Walker, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend, uh, were going to be dropped. Okay. So, you know, this, this, and, 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 and they, they're going to be dropped and he, and he cannot be retried. So, you know, this is a very, 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 very positive uh, development, you know, in, uh, in, 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 in that, in that, in, in that particular case to know that the brother who was defending himself and his woman, which uh, any black man should be doing, uh, not knowing, you know, who was breaking into their home that, you know, that, that early in the morning, which, uh, you know, those uh, no-knock warrants should be uh, uh, un unconstitutional and against the law anyway. But uh, at least we know that that, that he won't be he won't be uh, uh, tried uh, for shooting one of the police officers in self-defense. Uh, but the but the continuing fight for justice, uh, you know, for Sister Taylor continues. And it was great to see a large numbers of people, you know, in the streets, uh, you know, in various cities around, uh, you know, this country uh, on Saturday, March the 13th. Uh, Shay, uh, Shay, this has been another episode of the African Liberation Media. You can listen to this podcast wherever you receive your podcast. And you can always check out our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com, where we post all updates on all of our shows. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're new to this channel, hit that subscribe button and also click on the notification bell so that you can make sure you receive an alert every time we add a new video. Until next time, a BB for Hodier. Leave it for Hodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.